So last week, Josh talked about our values as a church. And just so you know, our values is what drives us. This is what we come back to. This is what we rest on. This is what, when anytime we have a decision or we're trying to decide what to do, this is what we come back to. And you've seen these either in the corners or in the hallways for a couple years now. And so if you're new, I'm going to let you in on how we came up with these and what what drives this and what drives Lightpoint Church. And if you've been here for a while, this is going to be a repeat. Uh, But just so you know, we we met in May of 2016, and we said, you know what, there's certain things that drive each of us in our lives. And if you reflect on your own life, there's certain things that help you make a decision, whether as a dad, as a mom, as a a parent, as a wife, as a husband, uh, wherever you're at in life, there's certain things as an employee, an employer, there's certain things that are within you that drive decision making. And there, there, there are values. And whether we recognize them or not doesn't mean that they're not there. It's just these are things within, within us that drive our decision making. And so as a church, here's what we decided. We, uh, 12 of us around my living room, just started throwing things that we valued on a wall. And we threw a lot of things. I think by the end of the day, there were 17 things. And what I said to the team was, as I said, listen... I said, I love all 17 of this, but there's no way I can remember 17 things and get them all right. And so I had two amazing people on our team, and I said, hey, they're wordsmith people. They can kind of condense things. They're, they're awesome. I said, would you all mind going away and coming back? And they did. And so they broke down 17 things into five. And here's how it works. You ready? The number one thing for us is truth, God's word. We'll preach it, we'll stand on it, we'll hold on to it, we'll allow God's word to be our decision-making piece of our lives. If we ever wrestle with something, if we're ever trying to figure something out, we go to God's word and we hold on to his truth. See, what happens in God's word is this, is God's given us a design from the very beginning. He's given us a design of how he wants things how he designed the world from the very beginning when he created it. There's a way that he designed it, and it's written in here. And so a lot of times we get confused in today's world about a lot of things, right? There's a lot of things, a lot of questions out there. And if you look at where our society is going, there's a lot of questioning about everything. And it's simple. But yet we make it complicated because we like to put our own spin on stuff. See, God wrote out his design the way he wanted things here. And when we don't complicate it and we come and we stand on and we hold on to his truth, something happens. So what happens as a church is we're going to stand on his truth and come back to his truth. The second thing is this this is very important to me, and I need you all to hear this. I've grown more in my faith the past two and a half years by this second thing. And it's trusting the Holy Spirit's leading. That means this. I may not see what the next step is. And I may not see where his provision's coming from or where something's coming from. But I will trust his leading all the way. It may not make sense. It may not make logical sense. But what it does make a lot of times is a spiritual sense. In God's economy, things work differently. And we will be a church that trust the Holy Spirit's leading all the way. If you look at our budget, 
and this is, this is where some of this comes in. If you look at our budget, you look at certain things. One of the biggest arguments we've ever had as a team, disagreements we had as a team, had to do with finances. And you want to know what the ultimate reason why our disagreement happened? It wasn't because of the money. It was because of this. We stopped trusting the Holy Spirit's leading. And we started looking at what we thought God could do. And, I, and so we came back to this piece of we'll trust his leading. We'll trust his leading when in the, the messages that he gives us to preach. We'll trust his leading in our, in, our, in our finances. We'll trust his leading in who we put in leadership positions. We'll trust his leading in everything and anything that Light Point Church does. We will rest and trust in a God that has created everything and that is our ultimate provider and our ultimate source of wisdom and truth. And we will trust his leading as a church. When our elders get together and we pray and we start talking about what the direction of our church and, and all of these things, we come back to this piece right here. What can we do and how are we trusting God's leading? The third thing here. So we're standing on God's truth. We're trusting his leading, trusting him. The third thing is we want to develop the character of Christ. We want to develop the character of Christ. Christ was compassionate. Christ was loving, Christ was transparent, Christ was real, Christ was, um, spoke truth, Christ, his character, and everything that we learn about who Jesus is, and I can go on and on and on, and we'll be here all day, but we'll develop his character, and we'll always come back to how do I become more like Jesus. The, third, the fourth thing is this, we'll love. We'll love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and spirit, and we'll love each other deeply. God said there's two important commandments. The first one is this, that we love him. The second is, he said this, is it's just as important, is that we love one another as, as Christ loved the church. We have to learn to love God and love each other. The, third, the fifth thing is this, ready? Here's how it works. If we stand on God's truth, we trust his, le le trust his leading, we start to become more like Christ, we love him and others uh, deeply, then our unity happens as a result. I've been in a lot of churches where unity wasn't important. You've seen them. It was more important for something else, and unity of the body was not important. It's interesting in Scripture, it, says, it talks, it goes, points to this piece. And Jesus even prayed for, this is in one of his last prayers for the people, he prayed that we would be one, that we would have this unity, this peace that brings us together. And so here's what I truly believe as your pastor is that if we stand on his truth, we trust his leading, we develop his character, we love each other deeply and love him deeply, that our unity will allow us to illuminate our community and we'll look differently to people. So these are what drives us. When we have questions, when we have decisions to make, we come back to this. When we're trying to figure out what, 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 what we're going to hold on to, we come back to this. Guess what? When we want to figure out what's not important to us, we put it up against this and it allows us to see it. So our values is what drives us. So I appreciate Josh doing that for us last week. Today I want you to go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. This has become one of my favorite passages of all times. 
and I'll tell you why. Here we go. John chapter 8, verses 1 to 12. It says this. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach. Teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law of Moses, now in the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they perished, persist, excuse me, but when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone, and the woman was where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And she said, I do not condemn you either. Go, from now on, sin no more. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I love this passage. There are so many of us, excuse me, all of us can relate to this woman. We we may not be adulterers. We may not have committed adultery or anything like that, but we have all fallen short of God's glory we have all made mistakes we have all messed up we have all done stupid stuff we have all sinned and then we live in a world where people like to point to our flaws our shortcomings our mis- our our mishaps and they like to judge us by those mistakes and yet we have a god that sees things differently We have a God that sent his son Jesus to make things different so that we don't have to live in that shame anymore. Here's here's the statement that I've been holding on to since the very beginning. It's this. And it's it's taken from a a workbook that that we studied and, and, and that... Really, it helps us define a few things, and it's this statement here by a guy named Jen Putman. And it reads this. If this church ends up like every other struggling church I've ever been in, what will we have accomplished? And I say that to say this. If we're a church that condemns people, if we're a church that, um, I'll put it very clearly, ready? If we're a church that doesn't show grace and speak truth, what will we have accomplished? Grace and truth, they go together. They're not, they can't be separated. See, we can show all the grace in the world, but if we don't speak truth, we're not setting anybody up for anybody, anything. We're allowing them to live in their sin. If we, if we just speak truth, then all we're doing is condemning people, and we're not showing the love of Christ. See, Christ came, and he did two things. He, he showed grace, 
but he spoke truth. And that's the church I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of a church that says, you know what? We want to do things differently. We want to show grace, but we want to speak truth. And it comes down to this for me. Do I have an understanding of who Jesus is and who he was in the day? Do I have an understanding of what Jesus did and what he continues to do today? And do I have an understanding of how he loves and how he loved back in the day? See, when I come to understand who Jesus is and I come to understand what he did and I come to understand how he loved, it totally changes my perspective and how I deal with people. Jesus came to set people free. Jesus came to save people. Jesus came as the ultimate sacrifice to take away sin in our world today. That's what he came to do, to complete the mission of the Father. That was his calling. God gave him a calling that says, this is what you're going to do. You're going to be the Messiah. You're going to be the one that saves people, that frees people, that brings people into a relationship with me. It's interesting. I was at a birthday party yesterday. And I love this because whenever I get around family members, that um, is not my family, but my other side of the family, um, all of a sudden the God conversation comes up, right? All the time. And every time, it doesn't matter if they've only met me once or twice. And this even goes with Julie's side, and this even goes with Noel's. Uh, birth family and all this, they always want to get into these biblical conversations with them. Always. And finally, I'm just like, man, can we talk about something else other than, I mean, but here's what happens. Since I'm the, the house pastor, or family pastor, I get in these conversations, I get brought into them. And my favorite discussion was this. Last night it happened, and it, and it spoke so clearly to me about what we're called to do. I was in this conversation, this guy started talking about, uh, started talking about Jesus and, and, and all these different things, and they started, he started talking about Muslims, Hindus, Christianity, and Jews, and he started talking about how we all worship the same God, and I started scratching my head. Let, let, just let me be very clear here. There's a lot of misconception out here. There's one God. One God only. And in his design, he provided a savior. His name is Jesus. In his design, he provided the way. And my favorite rebuttal to that people give me is this. Well, I don't believe that he's the savior. I believe he was a good prophet. Okay. If that's the case, then he's a liar. Because he claimed to be the son of God. And I tell you this, if someone lies to me, they're no longer good. If they lie to me and they teach me something that's not right, they're not a good teacher. See, Jesus, God came and he provided one way to the Father, and that was through Jesus. Now, all these other things out there, right, that everyone wants to say, what about this, what about this? And then my favorite, my favorite thing in all is, well, Chad, do you mean to tell me that God's going to send somebody to hell that's never heard of Jesus? You want to know the response to this? Ready? Y'all can write this down. This is worth gold. Ready? 
I don't have to make that decision. That's God's. And you want to debate about something that, that, that will either make you upset or whatever it is, send someone to hell. And I don't have to make that decision on whether some little kid who never heard about Jesus and dies and goes, where is he going? Or somebody that lives in a forest that never heard about Jesus or God, where do they go? That's not my, and, they, and the thing is, well, how can a loving God do all this? Guess what? That's not my decision. My decision is to do what? How am I going to be a light for Jesus in our world? Plain and simple. And we can get in all the theological debates, and I can, you know, we can all walk through it, and we can give you the answers and all this stuff, and whatever it is. But the thing is, is when you get caught into those conversations, the simple answer is, you know what? God's got it covered. God's got it covered. And it's very interesting what happens in all this because there's, we live in such a world that they want, these, these, they want to be able to define something. They want to be able to, to point something. And they want to be able to say, see, here's where your grace is flawed. And they want to be able to say, but, but the, the other piece of that is they want to say, we have a loving God and we have a God that loves us. And how can a loving God do this? But you know what we also have is we have a God that speaks truth. And he provided a way. And the only thing I have to worry about in my life is what did I do with Jesus while I was here? And we can rest on that. And so we come back to this piece of who Jesus is and what he did and how do we deal with that. But here's the problem in all this is we go to John 8. We go to John 8 and we see this piece right here. And this is the piece that I want us to grab a hold of. John 8, 12, and we're going to just write there our three, it's not 12, John 8, um, 3 and 4, it reads this. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. We are very good about convincing ourselves we can get away with things. Did you ever notice that? We can justify our actions and we can justify anything we want and we can reason why we do some of the things we do to rebel against God. I am seeing more clients now that want to justify stupid stuff and it's beyond my comprehension. And what's interesting to me is we get caught in the shame cycle. See, this woman caught in adultery speaks to something that we get caught into. We get caught in shame. What happens is this, we make a mistake or we sin against God, and then shame comes on us. And what happens with shame is shame will keep us in the dark. Shame will tell us, don't let, don't let anything going on in your life out. Don't, don't expose it to the light. Keep it hidden. Shame will convince you that if you expose, the, the expose some of the flaws in you, that if you expose those, that nobody will like you, nobody will love you, nobody will care about you, and people will walk away from you. And all of a sudden, you begin believing this lie. And here we have this woman that was caught in this, uh, caught in this act of adultery. And I have to believe that this wasn't her first time. You want to know why I believe this? It's because of this. They knew where to get her. They knew where to catch her. They knew who she was and how to catch this woman in the act. 
So it could not have been her first time. We won't even get into why they didn't drag out the man involved. We don't need to go there. But they knew what was going on in this woman's life. She was caught in this cycle of shame. that She kept going back to this peace that, that was filling some type of void in her life. And she was justifying this act of adultery in her mind that says, it's okay because, you ready? It's okay if I do this because if my husband really loved me, I wouldn't need to go somewhere else. If my wife truly loved me, I wouldn't need to go and share my feelings with somebody else. If, 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 if I was getting what I needed at home, then I wouldn't need to go somewhere else. If I, if I didn't feel so horrible, I wouldn't need to look for something to fill this void in my life. And put whatever you want in it, right? You can put in uh, drugs. You can put in alcohol. You can put in, you ready? You can put in cake. You could put in sweets. You can put in food. Anything you want. Because we all like to point at the thing that we don't do. Ready? We all like to point at the one thing that, that we're not using. So if we're not using, if we're not using sex as a, as a way to fill a void or whatever, let's point at that sin. If we're not using alcohol to, 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 the, to fill a void, then let's point at people and how they drink too much. But what happens is this. What am I stuffing in my face when I'm eating? Right? I can point at whatever I want to justify my own actions. And the problem is this. When I get caught in the shame cycle, it looks like this. I've made a mistake and I feel horrible. I feel bad about myself. And so what happens is, is I want to feel good. I want to feel better. So I go to something that's going to release something in my brain to help me feel better because I'm trapped in this shame, right? And shame makes me feel bad. So I go to something that helps me and gives me a, a little bit of feel good for the moment. So it could be, could be sugar. It could be sex. It could be a drug and alcohol. It could be something here that, that is going to give me a short little thing of helping me feel good about life. And so then I go and I do this one thing that I'm using to fill the void that covers the shame in my life. And what happens is this, is once I do it, I get this instant release of an endorphin that helps me feel good. And then right after that, it leaves. And what happens? I feel like crud again. And I feel like crud again, and so then I start wrestling with this, wrestling with this, and then all of a sudden an event happens in my life that points to that thing that makes me feel bad, and so I go right back to that peace that caused the shame in the first place. And we get in this never-ending cycle, and we don't break out of it. See, this woman caught in adultery, much like many of us, get caught in this, this, this cycle of shame. And we don't know a way out. We don't know how to get out. So we keep going back to the one thing that causes the shame in our life. And we justify it in our mind and we say, you know what? But this is giving me that instant piece of gratification, that instant piece of feel good. And I can't deal with the shame anymore, so I'll go back to it. And I go back to it. I mean, guys, this is why addictions run so heavy in our world today. And pick your addiction. They get caught in this shame. And they don't know their way out. See, we live much like this woman in a world where our shame is hard, is there, and we get stuck in it. 
The second piece is this in this passage that we get to read is in verses 7 and 8 it reads this. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Listen, our response to other people's stuff speaks volumes of who we belong to. Our response to other people's stuff speaks volumes of who we belong to. If I know who Jesus is, if I know what he did and I know what he came to do and what he means in my life, then my response as I develop the character of Jesus should start to reflect what he would do, should start to reflect his character. And here's what it looks like. You ready? Our response, if we look at these people's response, these these Pharisees and these religious elite, they wanted what? They wanted this woman taken out because she was a sinner. They wanted this woman just taken care of and put out. Why? And they were really willing to sacrifice this woman because of what she had did. One, so they could catch Jesus. Well, they were willing to put her to death. And yet in our own world, how do we treat people who are trapped in shame? Ready? How do we treat each other? How do we treat each other when somebody does something wrong to us? Are we the first to point out a flaw? Are we first to point out something they did wrong? Are we there to judge? See, our response to people's shame, is it much like the Pharisees? And I love this passage in Romans 2, 3 to 4, it says this. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself that you will escape the judgment of God. Paul's writing about people who like to pass judgment on other sinners. And pick your sin. He was writing in in response to how we always like to point out everyone else's flaws. And we like to pass judgment on them. And you can go read before that. But he gets to this point. And I love this one for you. He says, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the what? Read that, say that for with me. Of God leads you to what? Why do we continue? Why is our response always pointing a finger at somebody, telling them they they got it wrong and they need to do something? And and we, we like to condemn them, we like to judge them. Why is, that, why is that usually our first response? We like to point out everyone else's flaws when we can't even look at our own, knowing that this, this thing is true, that it wasn't Christ's judgment on us that caused our repentance. It was his kindness and his patience with us that brought about a turn in our lives. It was his grace that brought about a turn in our lives, a renewal in our lives, this, this, this break from the cycle. It was his kindness that brought this about. It wasn't his judgment. You ready? Although we need his truth to understand that what we did was wrong, but it's his grace and his kindness and his patience and his tolerance for our stupidity. Excuse me, not your stu- my stupidity. But it was that piece that brought about this return of a turn from the shame and towards him. Repentance. And maybe in growing to be more like Christ, we need to develop more and more of this.
Maybe our first response to people's shortcomings should be kindness. You want to know where this works best at? You ready? Try it in your home. Try it in your home. Let your first response toward your loved one be kindness and patience. Let your first response to those closest to you be kindness and patience. Watch how it changes things. Guys, I'm working on this. This doesn't come natural to me. This doesn't come easy to me. My first response to the people that I love the most is not usually kindness and patience and tolerance. If you don't believe me, I'll set up a camera in my home and you can look at me interact with my kids. What if we change this in our home? What would happen? See, Jesus, this passage points to our response, and our response is what? Is it like these, these Pharisees and religious elite that wanted to have this woman taken out because of her shame? Are we wanting people taken out because of their stuff? Are we wanting them, are we wanting them removed from society and removed from life because of what they do wrong? Or is the response like Jesus? And here's Jesus' response. You ready? His response was this. Straighten up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Where are they? See, one by one, they took off. When he called them out on the carpet, one by one, they took off. Jesus' response was a lot different. By law, she could have been stoned. Actually, by law, it would require that they actually bring the man, and the two of them together had to be stoned. By law, you couldn't just bring one, so the Pharisees messed up. Just a little side note. The Pharisees messed up from the beginning just bringing the one. They had to bring both of the ones caught in adultery. So Jesus knew he had them there, but here's where he said, hey, are you without sin? Go ahead and cast the first stone. Everybody's wanting us, everybody's looking for someone else to solve their problems. You ever notice this? Everyone else is looking for everyone, someone else to do the hard work. And they're always looking to push something that they, they, they feel they need to do on the truth, what you did was sin, don't do it anymore. They work together. When we take one of them out, we're missing who Jesus is. We're missing what his design was. We're missing what he wants from us. His response was something that was totally different. John three seventeen said this, for God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be what? Through him. See, if our view of Jesus is that he was strictly one that came to condemn and judge and all this, no. Jesus came to save. 
In his grace and his mercy, he came to save and set those of us that are caught in shame free. And so he, he was there doing that. He didn't come to judge, but he came to save people. So here's what happens. In verse 12, it reads this. Then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now let's talk about what this light means. What does light do? It illuminates. It shines into an area and it brightens it up. It allows you to see things that you normally couldn't see. Just last night, you ready? Last night, Chad was in the car. We were driving back from a birthday party, and he dropped the cap in the back of the car, and he couldn't find it. Why? Because the car was dark. So dad comes along, and he's freaking out because he can't find the cap to his Play-Doh or whatever it was. Actually, I was freaking out because I didn't want to clean up the mess. Anyway, um, so I went, and I got a flashlight. I turned on the flashlight off my phone. Guess what that flashlight did to the back of my car, of the van? Illuminated it. Guess how dirty our van is. <laughs> Guess who needs to clean the van out? N no. <laughs> um, I found the cap. Why? illuminated we look for the answers to everything in life we look for solutions to our problems we look for so much in this world and, and what yet yeah, here's what happens we hide out in the dark and we try to find it and nothing's there that we can see we ready we hide our shame guys that's why i don't have a problem admitting to you i had a pornography addiction have no issue with it whatsoever why? Because I don't want to live in that anymore. I want it out in the light. I want God's grace on it. I want his truth on it. That's why I admit to you guys I have anger problems that I'm still working with. I want to bring it out in the light. All these things, that the, the reason why I want to be real with you guys is not, is not so that you can know how messed up your pastor is. It's because I don't believe that keeping it in the dark does me any good. That's where shame is. Do you know what grows in the dark? Nothing good. Like we're talking mold, we're talking nasty stuff. Bring it out in the light. What grows because of the light of Jesus? Things that are good. The fruit that he asks us to bear. All these things. And here's what he says. He says this, if you follow me, you'll come out of darkness. If I follow you, Jesus, I'll come out of darkness. In other words, if I listen to your truth and receive your grace, then I can come out of the darkness that I'm in and I can have the light of life. See, here's what I believe. The light is used in so many different ways <clears throat> in Scripture. But I believe here's what happens when we shine the light of Jesus and we speak about the light of Jesus. The light of Jesus represents his grace and his truth. 
You can't have one without the other. And be following Jesus. You can't have one without the other and have the light of life. You can't walk in just grace completely without his truth and have a new life. If I walk completely in his grace without his truth, then, then I'm, I, I'm, I'm walking misinformed. I'm walking not the way he's called me to. I'm walking in, well, I can do whatever I want and I can justify whatever I want because I have his grace. No, there's got to be some change that goes on. There's got to be this breakthrough that comes out. There's got to be something different that comes out of this new life. And he says this, ready? Again, he said it. He said, then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, meaning I'll, have, I'll be able to walk in his fullness of grace and truth. Both of them, not one or the other, not one without the other, but one and the other. Grace and truth. How are we walking? And he says this in John 12, 46, I have come as light into the world. I have come as grace and truth into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in what? Darkness. See, if I just walk in his grace, then I remain in darkness because I don't have his truth. If I walk completely in his truth, then I, I, I fail to realize his grace and I'm still in darkness. His light represents both grace and truth. And so here's the vision as a, our church. And this is very interesting as we sat there. And I can remember the time that Julie and I were on our back porch uh, screened in deck and we're sitting there and we're praying about this church and we're thinking about this church and all this stuff and, and, and Julie, Julie knew about my desire not to live in the darkness anymore. She knew that I wanted a church where we could be real. She knew that I wanted to be a pastor of a church where I could share my junk and not be condemned, where people can share their junk and not be condemned. Like we sat around and we had this conversations of being, we wanted to be real. And we knew that we lived in a community in a world that where darkness was running rampant. Because everyone wants to hide their stuff. And for me, I didn't want to be a church like that. I didn't want to lead a church like that. I didn't even want to start a church that resembled something like that. I wanted to be a pastor of a church that did something different to where you could just air out your junk and allow God to change it, where you can confess your stuff knowing that people would still love you and still have your back. I wanted to be a church that was unified, that shined the light of Jesus into a dark and hurting world. Because quite frankly, I was tired of being in the darkness. I was tired of not walking in his light of grace and truth. And so the vision for Light Point Church is this. To be a unified church, how do we become unified? Stand on his truth. Trust is leading. Allow our character to be like Jesus, to love him and others deeply. And I believe if we do all four of those, we'll, be a uni uni we'll see unity in our lives, in our church. To be a unified church that shines the light of Jesus into a dark 
and hurting world. You want to know what I love about our church? Is you don't have to have it all together to be a part of us. You don't have to have it all together to be a part of us. Because God knows I don't. I used to I used to think about this, you ready? Before we ever started. I could see what the church looked like from a distance. I could see it. I could see people coming in here that needed to break free from darkness. That needed the light of Jesus in their life, and I could see that. I didn't know the steps that needed to take to get there, but I could see what it looks like. Guys, if I look forward, I can see what I want to see and what God's put in my heart to see for a vision for a church and where he wants to take us, and I can see it. I don't know what the steps look like. If you were to ask me two and a half years ago what those steps would look like, I'd be like, I have no idea. But here's what I want to see. I st- we stood on his truth. We trust his leading for every step of the way. And as we took a step of faith and trusting him, he showed a light on the next one. We took another step and we took another step. You know what I'm seeing right now, guys? I'm seeing guys break free out of darkness. So I'm having coffee with guys that tell me of their own personal struggles in life. Light of Jesus shining. I'm seeing groups that meet throughout the week as part of Light Point Church where people are real sharing their junk with people. And I'm seeing the light of Jesus shine in our lives. I'm seeing a group of people that fight for unity and and a group of elders that God has put in place that want unity so bad for our church that they're willing to have hard conversations and at the same time show grace. And I get to see this, and I can't tell you the steps that each step along the way, but I can tell you that what God put in my heart long ago is happening right now. And it's amazing to see. And here's what I look forward to. You ready? Because we're not done yet. We're nowhere close. Someone asked me, Chad, what's your big five-year vision? You ready? I'm going to blow you out of your, your seats. You know that one, the, my, the, the emoji with the mind blowing? Y'all can tweet this right now. You ready? One life at a time. One family at a time. One individual at a time. And here's what happens. You use where you're at to allow God to change your life. And you shine the light of Jesus in your life, and it illuminates. And do you know what happens? Who you get to have lunch with, who you get to have coffee with, who you get to interact with, who you get to do life with, starts seeing the light of Jesus and wants to be a part of it. It just ripples. Ripples. We're not done yet. A unified church that shines the light of Jesus into a dark and hurting world. That's his calling for this church. His specific calling. I was sitting in the corner of my screened-in porch talking to my wife. And he said, Chad, this is what you're calling for Light Point Church. A unified church 
that shines the light of Jesus into a dark and hurting world. I shared it with our team at the time. Not one of them blinked. Not one of them questioned. All of them said, let's do it. And we're here today because of that. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for today. Thank you for the new life that you give us and the new life that you provide when we walk in your light. Lord, you have called us out of darkness. You have a calling on our life. You have a calling on this church, and that, that calling is to be a light for you, to allow you to, to shine through us. And, and Jesus, we thank you for that. We thank you that as we walk in grace and in truth, that your light shines brightly. Lord, that we address the issues and the sins in our life, but we also know that it is by your grace and your kindness that we can draw near to you. And so, Father, may we walk in that. May we not be afraid to speak that peace, Lord. God, thank you for what you're doing and what you have done and what you're going to do. Lord, may we not lose sight of what you've called us to. To be a unified church that shines the light of Jesus into a dark and hurting world. 